Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 196 and this episode is with the founder of Collaborate Sports, mentor, consultant and lecturer Dan Howells. I've been really excited for this one because I know Dan's doing some great work individually and with the business, but also in collaboration with Josh Fletcher as well, who was obviously on the podcast just a few episodes ago with John Noonan. And we spoke in this podcast around networking, how to network and some of the top tips for growing a network as well. We then spoke about interviews and also Dan's experiences around interview techniques and where people might go wrong and where they need to focus their time. Some really good takeaways from that part of the podcast. And then he also spoke about creating healthy barriers and he gave some advice for coaches on how to build the career that they want and some considerations that you need to make around accepting jobs or chasing certain career paths as well. So this is one podcast where I feel like people can benefit regardless of what industry, to be honest, because we're obviously speaking mainly to sports scientists and strength conditioning coaches, but this could cross over to absolutely anyone. So please give it a share of anyone that might be struggling on just finding their way in a career right now or having an idea on what they want to do. I think this po- this podcast in particular will be very beneficial to them. Now, just before we get into the podcast, I just want to give a quick heads up to our next networking event, which is on Wednesday, the 27th of July, 6 till 9 p.m. at Stoke City's ground. So that's the Bet365 Stadium. I'm delighted to say we've got two brilliant speakers. So we've got Stoke City Academy Sports Scientist Jordan White and also Derby County Club Strength Conditioning and Rehab Coach Nathan Plaskett. They're both going to be presenting for us on the long-term athlete development process. And it's going to be great because Jordan's going to give more of an academy perspective and Nathan's going to go a little bit more from the first team side to get a real full-rounded approach to LTAD. There are still tickets available for this one, so make sure you go and check it out. Go to the shop tab at footballfitfed.com and you'll be able to grab yourself a ticket today. And remember, if you're a community member, you can get further discounts on the podcast by going to the member benefits tab on the community, getting your code from there and inputting that at checkout. And then just finally, just before we get into the podcast, I've got to say a huge thank you to our sponsors and I hope you enjoy episode 196 with Dan Howes. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. Harder, stronger, smarter. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 196. I'm joined on the podcast today by Dan Howells. Dan, how are we doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for the invite. No problem, mate. I think we've got some cool stuff to cover. But to start with, we've got to start with what you just showed me. Um, (laughs) The amount of dogs in that one room. How many have we got in there, Dan? I've got six behind me, I think, and two in the other room, or maybe five and two. Um, <laughs> yeah, we were a little bit delayed, aren't we, on our start time based on the one dog barking and the rest following suit. But um, yeah, another another element to 
my high performance lifestyle when it comes to focusing on sports is to to have a side business and we've got a little dog homeboarding business so well, I'm yeah. in charge today brilliant mate brilliant well we're going to focus and I, I know you're putting a lot of stuff out about this at the moment about um careers and i know you've got a lot of valuable stuff we, we want to cover and i wanted to start the podcast on you and just go into a bit a little bit of your background your career and then obviously we can spiral off from there so can you give us a little bit of a rundown yeah so my, my career started with you know lack of knowledge of where i wanted to be but i think that's standard i think that's a real comfortable space to operate in um you know i just did a university lecture during open day this weekend and just met prospective students and nobody really knows what they want to do at that stage of their career and that's absolutely fine because I think that's normal um, and actually it wasn't until post-university did I realize I wanted to do something different compared to what I thought I wanted to do um, but what allowed me to get that realization was plunging in to the deep end of experiences and finding out you know about industry the industry in sport and performance and that moved me into strength and conditioning as opposed to more of a physiology lab-based route so that that's how I started um, I purposefully or intentionally sought out experiences to better myself um, from post um, graduate work with the council and working with learning difficult difficult difficulty kids in terms of after school clubs and activity clubs and health clubs um, through to personal training in a in a commercial type gym as I was finding my feet with strength conditioning and it was probably the best thing for me because it was some of my best coaching lessons uh, and then from that point on as I got my accreditation then moved into working with um, the EIS and professional athletes in the Paralympic and Olympic space um, and then progressed over that time to professional rugby and Olympic rugby sevens before moving into Major League Baseball in much more of a, a leadership role with 13 SNC coaches in that organization being managed across a huge country um, and us very rarely being together. So I, I got to think a lot about what I call uh, is well known as the people systems and processes approach to performance management. And then on returning from the US, sit here in the UK with having had another Olympics last year going to Tokyo with the sevens again, just on a short-term uh, contract. And ever since I've started doing my own work with coaches and coach mentorship and support. Um, and now I'm just returning to university lecturing as well. And I guess that we'll talk about that later because that's a strategic play based on my career and the future as well, um, which is, is something that we kind of forget about until sometimes it's too late when we see a job we want and we could have done something about it in two or three years previously so that's that's my trajectory today awesome let's start on i wanted to talk about networking because mm. it's something that we talk about a lot we obviously run events so that <laughs> leads us to talking about it a lot but i wanted to get your input on it so the value of networking but also how people can go actually what does that mean like how do we go about it yeah i think when you think about networking you're thinking about creating a bigger support network around yourself or a bigger number of contacts that you can call upon. I think there's different levels to, to networking. There's the, um, the, I don't know anyone and I want to introduce myself through to the fact that I've got a problem to solve and there's somebody that could potentially help me with that. That's a little bit more specific. And then there's the, um, 
the networking that probably comes naturally with part and parcel of being involved in an organization or a sporting team that brings you closer to other people and that that might provide you with a lifelong network um i think each one has different levels of trust and rapport and therefore it makes them very very different what you would gain from each type of networking situation is going to be very different um but ultimately we don't get far being a lone ranger unless we're a business owner you know it's our own business and we're you know, an N equals one type of business. So it's important, it's, it's vitally important. Uh, it opens doors, it opens opportunities. And I think the next bit of detail is people think that networking is the answer to, it's who you know that helps you get your opportunities. No, it's, it's who you know, and who knows what you're capable of or what you can do. And so there has to be purpose within networking. There has to be um, an objective to it, I believe. Um, and I certainly think that that I didn't know really I was just really eager as a young practitioner and I was eager to learn but ultimately I was putting my hand to networking in a really constructive and intentional way early on in my career so in terms of that approach that you took then because mm. I, I completely agree that the up, we can't forget the fact that you've got to upskill as a practitioner at the same time. Have we? You can't just go and spread the, the message around that you're looking for something. You've got to be upskilling at the same time. What was your approach then when you just touched on it then? So my, my approach was that, and I, I talked to some of my mentees about this, is that what opportunity can you create within the environment you're in to leverage benefit for yourself? Um, because within all of our working environments, it's it should be that we should allocate a bit of time within our working environment to continue to upskill. It's in the best interest of the employer. And funnily enough, returning to academia, I've been refreshed by the fact that there's an allocation of, you know, a half a day a week for me to do a teaching certificate in my paid teaching hours, because that's an investment in me. And so what I did, you know, I was working for an employer. It was the AIS. It was a fantastic environment to be part of. And I was already, seeing a lot of different things in the Olympic space, Paralympic space, but identified gaps in terms of where I wanted to be. Okay, so I wanted to be in a professional team, football, rugby, I didn't necessarily know which, but I knew I wanted to step into a professional, slightly different pressured environment. So whenever I had opportunity or free time, I would travel away to see someone and spend time watching them in their environment. Um, I would, maybe if I was traveling to see friends in a different town or city, I, could I go up the day before and use that as a CPD opportunity? Could I bring back what I've learned back into the EIS environment on Monday and share it with people? So I was leveraging in a, in a, in a strategic way, the opportunity to see more, create networks, learn, bring value add back to the environment I'm in but with an intention of, I want to see places I'm not getting exposed to, like rugby clubs, like football clubs, because I want to be there in five years' time. Um, so that's how I went about it. Um, the specifics and the strategies, I guess, are just simply, back then it, we didn't have LinkedIn, we didn't have um, social media, so people weren't accessible. So actually it was more natural to ask a question of somebody you knew and did they know this person that you were trying to get that connection with? And so I think naturally it happened that doors became or got opened for you. Whereas I think we bypass that now. And I guess coaches coming through their academia now and early stage career are not used to the fact that people are much more accessible 
in terms of the ability to contact them. Um, and so they go direct and that's probably a problem in itself sometimes. Um, but yeah, that was my approach and that was nine, nearly yeah, 18, 18 years ago when I started doing that in my first year out of uni. The one thing you brought up there is obviously where you, you had an idea on where you wanted to end up. Mm. And I, I, it'd be interesting to get your perspective because I know you mentioned before about speaking to university students and them possibly not knowing at that point. But if we go a little bit later in a career, maybe post-grads, maybe even, even in the first role possibly, yeah. when you spoke to people, when you're mentoring um, coaches as well, do they now at that, like, that stage have that idea of where they want to end up or is it still a little bit blurred for a lot of people? I think everyone has an aspiration. I would like to work in a, a football team. I think it's the framing of that aspiration. So the framing of it becomes more like that's where I want to be next. But that gap is just too far. It's too big. And therefore, what, what is my next step? What's my stepping stone? So I, my first step into paid work from, un, from a postgraduate situation was that I did an internship with the US ski team as a strength conditioning coach, physiologist, and realized that, that that was what I wanted to do, S&C. My next step in the career was I went to work for a university because I saw that as my stepping stone to something like the EIS or an academy and an opportunity to take 18 months to learn some coaching skills and get my UKCA and just become an adult for the first time, you know, earn an income and understand even what taxes, you know, and how that operates. So that was my logical progression. It's like, yeah, I'm going to take something like that because I want to step towards something. I don't need it now. And then DIS came about for me and I was like, what better way to learn um, a, a ton of different skills from a ton of fantastic practitioners across a range of different sports. The role was a multi-sports role and it just absolutely fitted what I needed to do next. And this does come back to also aligning your needs and wants, which we could talk about as well. Um, and so that step was intentional towards professional sport. You know, I knew I wanted to be in a professional sport like rugby or football. But I didn't. I, I was realistic about the fact they need to be there now. I wanted to be there in the future, and that helped give me a stepping stone process. And so my vision or my lens that I was looking through was all always about what are the jobs like at, at the IS. What are the what are the JD essential criteria? I'll go away and get working on that in my eighteen months in academia or teaching as a sports scientist, uh, sports science officer, I was called. And then I was in the IS. I was like, what? What do I need to take that next step? Well, I need some leadership responsibility. So I ended up leading a, a wheelchair rugby program. And then I ended up leading a couple of practitioners in a London region, a really small team. And I started to understand what report lines were and how to do performance reviews. So all these were vital skills. And actually, I could make some mistakes in them because they weren't as quite high pressure. And they were really small by comparison in terms of number of people I was working with. And then it, every step for me was logical. It was preparing me, like we lay our, our, our physical capacities, right? We're layering in extensive work before intensive. We're building volume before intensity. I, I was building my skill sets um, broadly and then more specifically as I went. Um, so, yeah, it brings me to that concept of periodizing your career, which we'll, we'll get onto later, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, that was... I had a, a vision of where I wanted to be, but I knew that it wasn't my next step or that it didn't have to be my next step, which I think is probably the difference um, 
between those people who, who just delay their success because they, they potentially think they're ready rather than do a bit of a self-evaluation of where they're at compared to where they want to be. Um, yeah. It makes so much sense, doesn't it, when you break it down in terms of periodization, because obviously everyone's doing it on a day-to-day basis with their athletes, but as a career, I think some people are just, and I'm sure we've all been guilty of it in some way, shape or form, just taking what comes up yeah. and just sort of re- being reactive, aren't we, of, of yeah. opportunities. Um, if people are unsure, if, if there's listeners that are listening and thinking, well, I'm in this role now or this is my position right now and how do I know where I want to end up for them to plan back through my career and periodize? Like, what, how do I make that decision? What would you say to them? Yeah, so I think the first thing is to, you know, somebody who's established as a coach, for example, I'm sure that they would have a better idea. But if you're really at the start of your career, it's, it's who are the major stakeholders in the industry? Well, we know we've got the UKCA, we've got the NSCA, we know we've got the EIS, we know we've got professional clubs, but then you've also got healthcare providers like Bupa and you've also got um, gyms and you've got universities and you've got schools and schools are a fantastic place that will see more and more athletic development coaches be employed, I'm sure, in the coming years. So firstly, raise awareness of what, who holds the, the key to jobs. Well, it's all those kind of organisations, right? And then within that, what jobs are prevalent? Well, we know like in a Bupa sense, like a physiologist is, you know, lots of opportunities for people who are interested in physiology, lab testing, healthcare assessments and prescription of, of modalities and, and health-based you know, exercise programming. And so if that's where you, you know, you're aware that that's an opportunity, then, then you, you increase your knowledge base of what's out there for you. So first thing is just to understand what opportunities are out there. And I think individuals go through university either they haven't been nudged in that direction or they haven't gone and looked for themselves so research is one thing like what's out there what what and job boards will get you there faster because they'll be te- you know the people that are advertising the people that you know, hold the the purse strings and they're the ones that are going to employ people so have a look at job boards and then the, the next thing is starting to understand well what, what are some of these high level jobs so i look at the essential and desirable criteria and i know I'm nowhere near, this is 10, 15 years down the line. Great, well, who, who's in those positions now? That's where the accessibility of things like LinkedIn becomes really useful. You can actually go and understand the legacy of, or the, the journey to that point for people because you can look through their career history on their basically their public CV. So what have they done throughout their career and what steps have they taken? And if they want to be, or this individual wants to be ahead of performance, well, what does that require? It's required time imposed at a certain number of professional environments or pressure environments, or that to be a, a senior lecturer, there was needed to be time doing a PhD, for example. Those things all leave clues. And so there does require some research in that sense. And then once you know the end point, you're starting to realize some of the key stepping stones and what, what Josh Fletcher and I have called the stages of your career. You know, you've got to identify then where are you at? Are you at this breaker level? Are you breaking into the industry and you know there's probably not an earning for you in some of the volunteer roles are you in the survivor status of two to six years in the industry are you in this um, thriver situation where you're starting to become multi-skilled and um, a multi-asset to an organization or are you starting to become a redefiner which is 
working across multiple opportunities or maybe side cutting to do some business in different areas, etc. Um, and remodeling your work because of the work-life balance commitments or family. And then once you understand where you're at in this stage element of your career, you basically can measure yourself against types of jobs at those levels. So a high performance manager would be in this redefiner element. Okay, whereas your, your lead SNC would be in this thriving uh, stage. Your established SNC coach would be in this um, survivor stage and this graduate or volunteer or intern individual would be this breaker breaking into the industry. And then you can start to look at jobs at each of those levels. It's basically all the clues are out there for us to go, what is it that I don't have that this stage of the career will need? And I, therefore, where's the gap? Is there a gap for me to make it step into breaker because I've got no experience yet? So how do I do that? But And is personal training a really good solution and a quick solution where I can do that? And we often, I see people neglecting it because it's not, it's not associated with the title that they aspire to, right? So, but then like, a skills coach in rugby is a different job title to a director of rugby. Hmm. And it's a stepping stone to developing towards that. So it's a lot of information, but hopefully you can see it's more about like, like a needs analysis of jobs, like what, what is needed um, at each stage. And you'll see, for example, at Redefiner and, and maybe even thriving levels, you'll, you'll need leadership responsibilities. Well, you, could you get ahead of the cur curve as a survivor and take a, an Institute of Leadership and Management course, you know, and that's probably a missed opportunity for me that I'm looking into at the minute to, to bridge that gap. Um, and it brings me to this other side of things, which is there needs to be an investment on yourself. And that's either time or money, unfortunately. And um, getting that right is really important as well. And for everything that you can do earlier in your career that costs you a bit of time or a little bit of money, it will speed you up infinitely later on compared to at that same point where you're trying to play catch up. Um, and I've been there not, not too often. And I know people that have been there plenty of times where you look at a job, you react and go, I fancy a bit of that. And I apply and it's on a bit of blind faith because I know I can do the job, but I haven't got the credentials to show that I've put the time and effort into developing in these areas that even just get me the interview because somebody else across our hundred applicants, somebody else has put me to the post because they've met the criteria of the jobs. Um, yeah, quite detailed and conceptual, but hopefully that joined the dots a bit. No, that, that was great. I think it'll get people thinking, certainly. The other thing I wanted to ask on that, and I know Josh and yourself have done some great work in this, is you just mentioned about like looking at a job, noticing the credentials, then understanding where you're at and maybe what you need to work to. And I don't quite know how to phrase this. So hopefully I put it right across okay. But if two people really understand whether they definitely want to do that role and take into consideration everything that comes with that role. So if it is like a high performance coach or a head of department or whatever it is, there's obviously there's a lot of different responsibilities on that person than there is maybe someone that works in their team. Mm -hmm. Um and Josh has obviously spoke a lot about well-being and, and sort of health for the coach and the time spent doing different things and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. How do we then get that message across? Like, that's quite a, a daunting conversation at that time, isn't it? To say, have you thought about this, this and this, where they're just chasing this dream of doing this job? Are you talking from the perspective of, 
a friend or a colleague or probably like, more like a, I suppose like in your role, more of like a mentor or someone, yeah. maybe a more experienced coach speaking to a less experienced coach. Yeah. I think the conversations and this can go both ways. I guess the natural thing is to think, how can we help somebody who doesn't know what they don't know yet? But I guess somebody listening to this, who's a breaker and looking to, to move into the next stage or a survivor looking to step into this big high leadership type role you can do this for yourself it's just simply understanding you know what are my needs and wants and I talk about that with most of the people that are struggling with their careers I'm, I'm like does your personal and professional needs and wants align I don't think people often look at it as personal and professional they just talk about needs and wants so yeah. for example at the minute you know I'm openly sharing this and you you've catched on to this at the start of the interview with the dogs in the background but <laughs> one of my personal needs is to be very present at home for my family and to have more time back for myself um one of my professional needs and wants is to help people not co not athletes anymore so i'm helping not only aspiring coaches that's my coaching time but i'm also helping clients with dog care you know because it it helps support my personal need of needing to be at home. Now, I, my professional one is I want to continue to dip my toe in the water with professional sports and high performance environments. And so that leads me down to this route of, 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 of wanting to do some consultancy work, but it's not guaranteed. So it sits in this want space and I need to do a bit more in the need. And then in my you know, personal wants is to travel more personally, but not through work, you know, holiday more spend time with family now if i get a job come along or i see a job in the future that requires me to spend seven days a week in the office and gym uh, and be on call 24 7 yet one of my personal needs is to drop the kids off and pick them up from school that's a conflict and i don't think we're, we're strong enough with ourselves at times to go through an exercise as simple as that and bring to reality some of these conflicts and it's been fantastic with the coaches I've worked with across the last, particularly the last 18 months where I've seen a lot of these people progress to interviews is been a lot of success. There's also been a lot of situations where individuals have turned down those roles that they've been offered because they're really comfortable operating in a space of, well, one of my personal needs is to, to pay the bills, hmm. but the professional like situation is that this role at this point and this market value is not paying, I'm afraid. So for me, I can walk away happy that I was offered the job, that I know I'm, I've got the skills to do it, but it just doesn't align to my, my needs and wants. Um, whereas I think we, we jump through hoops to take that next step and you just have, to, and then we're, then we're in that situation of poor wellbeing or burnout and, and anarchy against the industry when I think we have to take responsibility ourselves. So whether or not it's a top-down mentorship approach or whether it's a, I'm going to think about these things for myself, it, it's important to, to bring that to reality early in a career because you can totally get on board with the fact that absolutely, I love it. Some people's personal needs may be to work every day because it's the only thing that keeps them straight and focused. Mm -hmm. And that to not have that would just, you know, would lead to results that they don't aspire to or want in life. Um, and I, I've seen a few debates online about people working 80 hours a week, but it's like, that's not healthy. But if the individual's personal need is to do it because I love it, it, gives me so much reward, then 
you know, kudos to them and, and, and go for it. Um, so those needs and wants are going to be personal, whereas the job's going to be a little bit more stable in that sense. Yeah, I'm always aware having this type of conversation that you, I don't want it to seem like there's one way and one way of doing things and that your, like you say, your needs and wants should be the same as like yours or mine. Or it, I think the important thing is asking those questions, isn't it? And, and being real with yourself and actually taking the time. Because I, th- I think, honestly, that's where, that's what people don't do. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure there's many of the listeners listening now that are thinking, actually, I've not really thought about this sort of stuff before. Yeah. And hopefully it gets people thinking and, and whether they are, if they're on the right sort of path and it aligns and great, but if it doesn't slightly, hopefully it gives them a little bit more insight into maybe where they can make, make changes and amendments. Yeah. And, and we, as, as a group of practitioners, it's probably the same across any industry in any job is that we generally moan, I say, or complain or are disappointed or disgruntled by something that, is high, that we're observing in hindsight and not, not for what it could be or what I could have predicted it to be. So what I mean by that is we, if we could ask these questions of, say, an employer as we're offered a job or interviewing for a job, you'll get a good feel for what it would entail. And there's two benefits to this. One is, is it the job for me? Which is just as important as, am I the right person for that job? But secondly, if, you, if you're getting answers around scheduling, say that, yeah, you get a day off a week, it's great. That's a reference point to work with in managing healthy barriers from that point on. But if you haven't gone in through that interview process or, or recruitment process and asked that question, well, you know, you're both looking at the same job from completely different perspectives, potentially. Yeah. And what a commitment to a role. That, so we all see it, don't we? Ability to work unsociable hours, you know, ability to work it, frequency, occurrence, what those unsociable hours look like is a completely different ballgame and will vary job to job. And so I've always, you know, Josh, Josh is doing a fantastic job with the, the practitioner wellbeing. I struggle a little bit only because I don't feel I've ever worked the grind. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I think it's because I've probably interviewed myself out of end stage jobs because of the work the work-life balance it's not necessarily the word but the, the the job versus my needs and wants um whereas it's paid off for me in other ways because they're totally of that they match up I'm, I'm good for them and they're good for me so and that's stuff we're just not taught in a certificate or accreditation naturally that's not the focus point and nor really through any route formally so whoever can sort of get ahead of that and I, I'm a big advocate of the soft skills as well, which plays a part in this, that we just don't get taught. And experientially, whoever can learn the fastest tends to succeed with them earliest. And that's great for their career as well. Now, for anyone that didn't make it to our networking event in Manchester at University Academy 92, you missed out on two incredible presentations. Um, we had Blood Flow Restriction and Recovery in Professional Sport by Dr. Warren Bradley of Hytro and also Movement Biomechanics of Professional Players by Shane Murphy. And Shane is the football scientist currently for the Scottish Football Association and also a consultant in in the professional game as well. These were two incredible presentations, loads of great takeaways, and it sparked loads of great questions as well from the people that were there. And I feel like there's so much content and knowledge that have gone into these presentations as well. The good news is if you didn't make it to the event, 
you can go and watch them by going to our onto our online community. And if you're not already a member, you can sign up for a free month by going to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign yourself up there, and it'll give you one month free so you can check out presentations like the presentations from Warren and Shane, plus plenty more. After your free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward, and you'll get continued access to presentations just like these, webinars and some member discounts and also access to our members whatsapp group as well which again has been super super crazy recently there's been some great discussions going on in there so you get access to all of that just for £4.99 per month so you're not already a member go and check it out go to footballfitfed.com click the community tab sign up there and go and watch these presentations from Warren and Shane because they were both absolutely brilliant and you'll take loads from it. Here's part two of the podcast with Dan House. I wanted to ask about something that I'm sure you've had many conversations about as well um, with the coaches you mentor, and that's interviews. Mm. Because obviously when people have been through this sort of process, they then land the interview. There's obviously successes and failures at that point or lessons that come along the way. But what would be some of the things that sort of jump out you think people struggle with the most or maybe could do better in that position? Yeah, I mean, just even starting with the, the, the trying to get the interview, the first thing I think people may get slightly wrong is just the, the, the CV and cover letter, right? And we all, we've all seen it with mistakes made and things like that. But I think it's eight to, 50, eight to 20 seconds is the scan time of a CV. And people will scan a CV first before they look at a cover letter generally. So even just the constructs of a CV... Um, and how it's constructed can be the difference between interested and not, right? Mm. Um, and if there's errors on it, then obviously that's not going to bode well. Yeah, I've had sessions where I've done interview techniques or devil in the detail sessions, I call them. And I've said, put your hands up if you've never read your CV out loud. And most people with their hands up. Because how you read something is, so how you, how you speak or, uh, your CV is how somebody else will read it. And it's amazing how many mistakes come up in my writing when I don't read it. And so when I read it, it's my ability to correct myself. And so that's the first step. Then you're in the door. Then it's about confidence and ability to execute and execute answers. And people become flustered when they can't execute. Yet we practice reps in the gym. We practice our running drills and we practice our our ability to demo but are we practicing our interview questions out loud with somebody or in a role play situation? And so I've done that with mentees to help prepare them. And it's, it's been awkward, but it's been enlightening because lots of people at the moment use the word kind of and sort of, well, if you're being asked for a specific set of principles and you use the words kind of sort of, that's not definitive enough for me as an interviewer to, to be assured that you know exactly what you're talking about. Mm. Um, you know, people say, yeah, tell me a bit about yourself. Well, that's an opening for an individual to, to share something interesting about themselves. Okay, so try and read into the question and what it's trying to extract. Then if you say, what are your weaknesses? Well, then have the strategic ways to answer that. And, and I credit a, a mentee for helping bring this to my attention in the way that he answered the question. It was, you know, tell me about your, your weaknesses and how you develop them. The best way to answer that is don't use the word weakness. So I've identified recently a number of areas that I'm looking to develop in. 
And as a result, I've targeted my development on X, Y, and Z. And I hope that it will help with A, B, and C. Um, and, and you've just avoided creating negativity in your answer. So so many strategic, like smart plays on this that, that show how you think as well. And, and that's attractive to employers. Um, and so seeking help for your interview prep is, is vastly important. I had a, a young nutritionist reach out to me recently and we spent an hour together and he came out a bit more flustered than he came in with me because he was like, well, I didn't think about thinking about it like this. And I said, it's not that you have to be cued ready to go, but you need a couple of scripts. You need a couple of processes to go through, you know, where you're, you know, to answer a question, you're going to experiences or evidence. And then you're going to times you've utilized that information to create impact. And then you're going to the outcome and you're demonstrating what you can do. You know, not what you necessarily know because you're all there because you know enough that's in the CV. It's te- I suppose it's, you said about how they're thinking them when they're going into the interview and obviously the anxiety filled places, aren't they? Like everyone's going to have some sort of nerves in that environment, but, the, the way that you're saying and, and um, talking about people communicating is taking back a little bit of power, isn't it? Mm. And actually talking and knowing, one, there's the practice that goes behind it, like you just said, about doing the reps on things. But then there's, there's also the confidence, isn't there? And having that behind yourself and actually backing yourself. Yeah. And I suppose not feeling like you're just trying to get caught out on something, but actually showing yourself and showing what you are as a coach. Yeah, and there's... You know, some of the common errors I talk too much with no specificity in my answer. Well, that just that just means you don't know the answer. So, <laughs> yeah. what's and, and I've, I've got colleagues, and we've both said the same is that you, you know you you you're a BS detector. Everyone's got it. So, I think I would give more respect to an individual that says, you know, do you, I, I actually don't know, and I it would be unprofessional for me to answer and try and answer, but." having been asked what I've been asked, my thought process goes to this area and this area and my ability to ask my support network around me comes back to your network mm. of mentees. And I'd, I'd be calling on somebody who's got more experience to make sure I do come away with the right answer and the right application in this environment. But I couldn't give you a definitive answer because I haven't lived that experience yet. Um, that I think is far more respectful than trying to kind of sort of work around the answer with no specificity. Um, and then the, the, I guess the other side of, of, of the communication side of things is if I'm practicing something, I come in with confidence to answer things. It's again, it's reps, it's, it's, it's reps in the tank and we just don't do it to ourselves because it's the most uncomfortable thing. We haven't gone to learn how to become great interviewers. We've gone to learn how to be great coaches and work alongside people. So I try and. I try and take that approach in an interview because it, it softens the blow for me a little bit and reduces that anxiety. And so techniques around, oh, so that's a great question. Like I've not been asked that before. Is a bit of a way just to build rapport as opposed to it being a black and white to and fro, but buy a bit of time also for myself to think. Um, some of the techniques are to repeat the question back. Okay, so you're asking for principles with respect to preparing to exercise in the heat. Okay, so when I think about principles, I think about what are the things that are non-negotiables. When I think about environmental stress, I think about thermoregulation, 
think about ability to get the physiological adaptations I need. Okay. So when I join the dots on those two, two things, this is what I would go to. And so that's a strategy in itself. It can be applied to, to different questions, right? But I'm flustered. I'm really unsure. I'm going to repeat the question back to buy myself some time and let myself think through it. It's, it's far sharper than going off on different tangents at different rates and coming back yeah. to nothing. Um, so yeah, and this all happens to come again from seeking help from other people. I don't, you just haven't, I wasn't taught this formally. It's come from me seeking network support, advice, experience of the people that have been before me to, to get to that point. And now I'm just trying to pass that on again myself. I think it's, it's funny because when you, when you say the question, like tell us something interesting about yourself, even me sat, in here, sat here, I was thinking, uh, how, how do you even start to answer that? But that, that should just be something like that's you, isn't it? That's easy. Yeah really or should yeah, be it should do and so it's again how much do we forecast the types of questions we're going to get one of the guys i worked with recently said did a good job of predicting some of those questions that came up and just taking an hour to go through that with somebody and seeing things from a different perspective could be the difference between being prepared and not yeah 100 percent Dan, you touched on it a little bit before um, about creating healthy barriers. Can you just expand on what you what you meant by that? Yeah, I think the healthy barriers comes from the needs and wants. I guess that's internally driven to start with, knowing, knowing what you want, knowing the way you want to live your life and the way you want to experience things. You see the quote there that nobody, nobody ever was on their deathbed and said, I wish I'd spent more time at work. You know, we've all probably seen that quote. So I guess it comes back to that and, I've probably wasted a number of years with with adjusting to the job as opposed to the job adjusting to me, but not too much because I've jumped into really good environments that I've had like weekends free or I can manage my own schedules, et cetera. Uh, there's just been odd times throughout the year. But it starts with like knowing what's important to you, knowing what values you want to live to and what your needs and wants are and um, both in that personal and professional space. The next part of that is creating sort of reference points and being brave about conversations that generally just become assumptions. So what time do we expected to be at work in the week? And what are the weekend hours if we're leaving for games? What, you know, asking those questions up front are going to be really important because they'll give you context and help you not assume because assumptions rarely go well for anyone. There's double benefit because you've got this reference point then. So if you've employed me, Ben, and, and you say it's uh, Monday to Friday with odd weekends, I go, great. There's a lot left on the table there. <laughs> and I go, come in, and you're seeing it as some weekend work, as in not all weekend, but it's every weekend. That's mm. some weekend work. Um, that There might be a shift from four in the afternoon to close at midnight every Saturday. Like It's so much open to, 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 to interpretation. Or I put myself in a difficult position because I haven't checked and challenged at that point. So if I'd said, Ben, that's great. I, I would have expected that. But what would that look like specifically? And then you say, well, actually, we'd need you to work every Saturday of different hours, but at least an eight-hour shift. Um, and that might require a late Friday and an early Saturday. 
Uh, and you go, okay, well, now that's changed the perspective of the job against my needs and wants. Um, or I say, okay, that, that's interesting. I hadn't expected it to be quite that you know, structured. Would there be any flexibility in that? It's the art of negotiation and just it's conversations people hate to, to have, but nobody has ever held anyone or held anything against anyone that's just tried to be a good person and negotiate for good reason. It's not unreasonable. So at that point, you've got to be brave about the push-pull on what what they can be flexible with. And it's amazing what people will, will, will resolutions people will get to if they just ask some of these simple yet brave questions. Because you might go, actually, I hadn't thought about it like that and I didn't know you had a young family. What if I could do this for you? You might then be trying to keep me in this job offer at that point. Um, because... Uh, yeah, it's, you've got to be brave with it and have a conversation. So the reference points are really key, key because if I then jump into the job and that, that changes, well, that's not what was promised from the role. And it's easier for me to have this conversation. So ben, when we spoke at interview, you said that you would look for flexibility and that I'd be working more Sundays than Saturdays. And that's not been the case. I'm just unable to be able to do this, I'm afraid, and do a good job for you. What, you know, do you have any thoughts on this? put the ball in your court. Well, if we hadn't had that reference point and I said, Ben, when I started the job, I thought that I would be having my Saturdays free and my Sundays would be a bit of work. That's not been the case. Um, you'd say, well, you should have asked that interview. Like it was there in the job spec. Um, you're within your right mind, aren't you? Just to ask that. And you wouldn't necessarily intentionally try to leverage that with anyone, but people have their own priorities. So if you don't check, people are going to align to their own priorities, unfortunately. Um, yeah, long answer, but hopefully the, the, right, the right one. Yeah, no, that's really, really helpful. Dan, I wanted to, we're obviously recording just probably a few weeks before the um, career periodization resource is live. So it could be, could be live right now in the future. Um, mm. I've seen some of the work that Josh has put out already. Um, and obviously aware of some of the stuff that you've done as well. And I know this, this is going to be really, really beneficial and helpful because it's going to expand on a lot of the things that we've spoke about and go into a lot more detail. Mm. Can you give a little bit of a, an overall sort of uh, preview on what people yeah. can get with the resource? Yeah, so it's, t it's targeted for strength and conditioning coaches specifically. That's the, the example we use throughout the, the manual, but it's very transferable. So I'd encourage people to, um, from, from all industries or disciplines to have a look at it. Um, it's basically introducing the concept of applying your personal development or, uh, or constructing your personal development in the same way you would construct building physical qualities for athletes. We would not expect to peak an athlete for a four-year event, which they're not ready for now. We wouldn't expect to do it by, by tomorrow or next week. So how are we thinking about that? What are we doing to close the gaps on improving this person over time? Um, what are the steps we want to achieve as we progress towards that goal? And applying that to our career, we want to be in one place. Where are we at now? We do analysis on ourselves, understand where those gaps are and intentionally structure our development around it. And one of the things that we prov provided in, in the resource is something called the core competency framework across different stages of your career that we've discussed. Um, in key areas so employment and experience network and communication professional reading 
um, amongst other areas. And so if we see that a um, redefiner is looking to be a, a niche a specialist in a niche area, a consultant to numerous teams, have extensive leadership management, and that's all in their experience. And in their communication, have negotiation skills, um, conflict resolution skills, presentation skills to a wider audience, can you know, present a TED talk, for example, versus a university lecture. Then you can start to understand, well, those are things I'm gonna need in five to 10 years time. Um, whereas at the breaker level, I'm just going to need to get as much experience coaching. I might need volunteer hours. I may need backup experience in personal training, for example. Um, I, from an industry skill perspective, I may need to get my degree. So I might be a 20-year-old who's studying and I may need to complete my degree. So clearly that's a one, two-year goal across four years. So we create this framework for people to look at and go, okay, well, here's a four-year, literally a planner that will provide a four-year planner. What are, my, what are my yearly goals? Two to three broad stroke goals I want to achieve in these areas of experienced employment, industry skills, communication, uh, networking, uh, et cetera. Great. Well, I know that these are my overarching goals. Which one of these core competencies needs a little bit more emphasis what things need to go in there in, in the space of year one, two, three, four, what do I need to do? Okay, industry skills, complete my second year, finish my degree, enroll in a master's, finish my master's. That's my four-year plan. From an experience and coaching point of view, in my last two years of university, enroll in a placement, um, look for experience in my summer months after my third year is finished, um, look for you know, full, full part-time or full-time employment in year three, and... Um, you know, consider myself an established coach by year four. Really broad strokes at the minute, but then once you've got your four-year mapped out, you jump into your one-year, which is your micro-meso approach. Yeah. Go right wing my quarters in my first three months. What do I want to do in these areas to achieve my year one goal of finishing my second year degree and getting some coaching experience? There might not be anything in, in communication and in networking, it might just simply be a goal to... to build a LinkedIn page in quarter one, build my network in quarter two, um, start to post in, in quarter three and reach out and build connections in, in um, quarter four. Whereas in my next year, it might be about setting up three or four calls a quarter to learn from people. So it's, it takes a lot of responsibility on the user end, but we're trying to provide the framework and examples to go, ah, okay, this makes sense. Now I know what it could look like. I can go away and apply that myself or talk to someone like Josh and Dan and help me build it, you know, as well. So the structure is there. It's very process orientated, but hopefully you can resonate with how obvious it sounds. And it has done for us. And, and Josh and I both sat there and you know, his, it was his original idea. And I went, yeah, like somebody helped me with this. I didn't realize it. And we did it from the bottom up rather than the end or backwards. It just happened to align for me. Um, but I think we need a bit of clarity of that end goal. And then we talk about agile periodization. This plan will not be the same for four years. And we talk about pushing or trashing. So there might be something that you think is a competency you need. And then after a year or two, you go, do you know what? Actually, I want to focus more in this area. And so basis accreditation, it just isn't, it's just not needed. So I'm actually going to bin that because I want to bring in something else.
So that's the agile element. And that's what keeps it present and at the forefront. Because if you do it and put it on the wall and never touch it and mark it and cross off and tick, you're not living it. Yeah. It's just another periodized plan that sometimes don't get a plan most of the time. Yeah, um, we all we all know there's gonna be changes along the way. <laughs> tomorrow, as early as tomorrow as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So hopefully that explains the concept and the product and yeah, we're, we're excited to, to help people. That's why we've done it. And it's probably been a lot longer than we envisaged, but because we want the detail to be there for people um, to go off and do it from the moment they read it. Brilliant. And where can they get it, Dan? Yeah, so we're going to have it available through our channels and our websites. Um, we'll, we'll, be able, we'll be putting links through our bios and on social media as we promote it through end of July, early August. Um, and then... We'll be holding various events, I'm sure, over the next 12 months where we just try and uh, keep continuing to raise awareness of it um, and bring it to the forefront of people's minds and bring it to life, really. But yeah, it'll be on our social channels, our LinkedIn's and our, um, our own individual websites. And is the one like social you'll, you direct people to for yourself? For myself, it would be the Instagram of collaborate underscore sports. Um, and then I'm at Howl's Down on twitter perfect dan this has been awesome mate i think it's such a valuable podcast and i hope people feel that way as well because i think you've opened up some really interesting discussions and hopefully get people thinking about this stuff more and i I, I do really think it needs to get out to as many people as possible so thank you very much for coming on and doing it i appreciate it now i think hopefully it's been thought-provoking like many of these things, when you talk to people, share ideas, the simple things are the, have the most impact. And I think we do try to overcomplicate it or rush and assume we can jump from A, a to B um, without some work in between. And yeah, hopefully this, this has been useful for people that have been listening. And thanks to everyone that has listened. Perfect. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the episode and a huge thank you for Dan as well for freeing up some time. I really appreciate him coming on. Go and give him a follow. He's over on Twitter at HowlsDan underscore and on Instagram, DanHowls82 underscore. And like I said, at the very start of the podcast, both Dan and Josh Fletcher are putting out some great content around career periodization. They've got the resource coming out and I know recently they did a webinar as well, which I heard great things about too. So make sure you go and check it out. Go and support the guys as well by getting yourself one of the handbooks, one of the resources, because practitioners like them, they deserve the support and they're putting out some great work. And there's been a lot of work that has gone into this as well from two really experienced guys. So make sure you go and check it out. I always discuss my takeaways. uh, And again, there was plenty in this one. Dan spoke about the levels of networking and also purposeful networking. So I think this is there's real value in this because you don't just want to grow a network of people that you know. It's more valuable than that. We need to be taking stuff from them and also giving back and having real valuable conversations with your network too. So try not to think of it as just a numbers game where we're trying to... Um, like increase the pe- amount of people that we know. There's obviously a little bit of value in that, but then at the same time, we need to. It needs to be purposeful. There needs to be some purpose behind conversations and the relationships that, that you build as well. And then the personal and professional needs and wants. I think it's something that certainly I'm speaking from my perspective now. This has only come after a few years down the line. I should have probably realised this a bit earlier. 
around trying to design or think about a career that suits what you want from your life and then working back from there. Um, Like we said in the episode, it's not to discourage people from working at clubs. That definitely isn't the case. But it's just to try and think about what you want from a role and where you want that to fit into your life. And there are going to be some sacrifices you need to make at some time, 100%, regardless of whether you're working in the private sector, running your own business, working for a club. There's always going to be sacrifices somewhere along the along the road. But I think it's just important to have these discussions and, and sit down and think about this sort of stuff. And it might even be something that you um, have a discussion with, with a significant other or family members or friends as well. So that was a really important takeaway for me. And I think the biggest one of all from this podcast is where Dan speaks about reps around the interview technique. If you are someone that is looking to land that next job and you're not practicing and and, um, going through the technique of answering questions and that interview technique, for me, if you listen to this podcast, that should be the biggest takeaway for you. Go away and practice it. We don't expect our players and athletes to pick things up first time they do an exercise or first session we need to be completing reps and repetition. So that for me is the biggest, biggest takeaway from this podcast. Definitely something you can practice. It's still going to be a bit of a daunting environment in some cases in interviews. That's it's not to say that's not going to be the case, but it's obviously going to help the fact that you've put the practice into it. So that was the biggest takeaway for me on this one. As always, I'd love to hear yours, what you took away from this one. And like I said at the start of the podcast, This can go out to not just people in sports science and strength conditioning, but anyone that's looking to periodize their career and looking for the right path for them to go down. So please, please give it a share. And just before I let you go, make sure you go and check out the brilliant work by our sponsors, Rezzle. They're doing some great work right around the world. Um, And they've been traveling here, there and everywhere, taking the, the world of VR and cognitive training into sport, into different sports as well. So make sure you go and give them a follow and check out the work they've got going on at Rezzle over on social media. But again, thank you for listening and I'll speak to you again in episode 197.